Specialty Stories Podcast, session number 75. Whether you're a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here for every session that we hold on Specialty Stories. I wish I was here every week. I'm always looking for new guests, new physicians to have on the podcast. So if you have any thoughts or any ideas, just shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. This week, we have an awesome guest. We have Dr. Kelsey Hopkins, a rural family medicine private practice physician. So he owns his practice. He's in a rural environment. and He's a family medicine physician. Lots of amazing things, lots of great discussion that we have about his journey to rural medicine, growing up in a rural environment and being exposed to that and wanting to go back to that environment as a physician. You'll learn a lot of things about rural family medicine, what he likes about it, what he doesn't like about it, the unique environment that is there, how to connect with other physicians, and so much more. And we talked about, at near the end, really the heart of why this podcast is available to you, and that's to expose you to everything that is out there for your training. When you go through your training, you're exposed to a very limited selection of what medicine has to offer you. And hopefully with this podcast, we are exposing you to more than that. So we talk about that in the podcast as well. Let's go ahead and dive in and talk to Dr. Hopkins. We start by talking about what first interested him in family medicine. So I probably first realized I wanted to be a family practice doc actually before I got accepted to medical school. I grew up in a, a small town in Northern Illinois and I come from a family of eight kids. I'm number four of eight. Um, everybody was uh, born at home after the first couple. Uh, it was a little bit different for the 1980s, but uh, I grew up in a pretty rural area. And so we had no one in our family that was ever in medicine. And uh, I had a life event that kind of made me want to pursue medicine. And I realized at that time, kind of being naive to the healthcare field in general, um, that there were different specialties. And I just thought that if you went to the doctor, they did everything. And I came to find out that there was a rural medicine program uh, called the RMED program at the University of Illinois uh, College of Medicine in Rockford. And I explored that. And ultimately, that's where I went. But Family medicine turns out in my mind is what matched what I thought just a general doctor was. I didn't I didn't know that you could subspecialize or anything like that. And since I had an interest in doing everything as time was on went on, it, it turned to it turned out to fit exactly. So I actually knew before I went in and it just it just all matched. I loved everything I did and just thought that's what I should do. And not knowing was not because you weren't paying attention, is because you're from a small town where most of the docs are family practice docs. That is true. That is true. Even though the area up there is more developed than it used to be, um, you know, we would travel 20, 30 minutes or more to go to the doctor and, and get health care. And so I, I think that's probably true in a lot of ways. We saw a pediatrician um, and then later family medicine doctor. But, you know, in rural areas, typically there's not as many doctors around and certainly fewer specialties. So 
typically they, as primary care, do more than they would in an urban area because they have less uh, colleagues to assist them with things. And so their training is oftentimes different and their role is different. What, what led you to decide to go back to a rural area after your training? So that's a great question. I think that for me, it was the idea that you know, since I grew up in a rural environment and you know was born and raised there and it was comfortable for me, I didn't really care to live in a city environment, even though it's nice to go visit. Um, for me personally, it just felt more comfortable and kind of how I grew up and where I wanted to live and raise a family and, and work. And when I found the ARMED program and got the training there and then later went to residency in Terre Haute, Indiana at, at Union Hospital Family Medicine Program, they had a rural training track there. It all seemed to go towards what my life goals were initially, and it just kept just kept pursuing that, and it just seemed more comfortable. And then as I got more and more training to do that, I thought, since this is what I initially had intended to do, I wanted to give back to a small town and stay in that environment to live, but also realizing the healthcare needs as I got into the you know education tract of medical school and things, it just seemed like that would be a very rewarding career and that I, I don't think that I would uh, be as rewarded or fulfilled uh, working in a city environment and just me personally. I feel like this is where my niche is. I, I, was, I was originally from a rural area and then when you get the training and go back, it's kind of, it's just, I guess it's the most comfortable and I'm, I don't ever plan to leave rural medicine. It's a, it's a lifestyle as well as a career choice in a lot of ways. But when you're born and raised there, I think this is kind of what, what fits. And uh, it, it just seems like it's, it, it, for me, accomplishing what my initial dream was and, and living that out is, is very rewarding in a lot of ways. But um, it, it's just different. It's different than the urban lifestyle. And so I, I just saw it through and it just, it all fit. Paint a picture of what the, the rural environment that you're in. I, we had a, a pediatrician on who's in in Texas, and she's like the only pediatrician in a 75,000 square mile uh, uh, radius or, or some uh, absurd uh, landmass like that. What does it look like for you in a, in a rural environment? So here locally for us, we have, uh, I have one partner, Dr. Phil Siefkin, who's a, a internist and pediatrician, and he's the only pe- uh, practicing pediatrician until recently the hospital has added a part-time second one um, in the local area. And there's uh, three other family doctors that are here and one that just retired and uh, several nurse practitioners around as well. We have a local hospital. uh, It's now HSHS, Holy Family Hospital, previously Greenville Regional Hospital until a couple of years ago. And um, that's just down the street, you know, a mile from my office. And we have a couple surrounding hospitals that are 20 to 30 minutes away in most directions. And so, you know, in terms of patient population, there's 7,000 people roughly in town. Uh, we pull from a patient volume um, from around the area and even have people, I saw one this morning that uh, travels over 100 miles to come see me from Missouri. And so, you know, even though patients travel in from a ways, we have a, a local niche here so that, you know, patients within 20 to 30 minutes are able to, to see a doctor uh, in the area. What traits do you think lead to being a good rural family medicine doctor? I think it's probably one and the same in a lot of ways from a family medicine doctor that practices in any environment. But in rural, especially if you're from rural, you seem to fit in better. You get it. You understand the lifestyle better. It's not just about practicing medicine. It's about the community. 
Uh, the patient's uh, attitudes towards you may be different. Um, their healthcare needs may be different. So I think understanding rural life is really important. Um, the, the U of I College of Medicine at Rockford actually uh, coined the term rurality, meaning how rural somebody actually is. And, uh, and so it just seems to be a way of life that people understand when, when you're from that environment in terms of relating and communicating to your patients. I think being flexible is really important. Um, liking a variety of different things and kind of being able to shift gears quickly is really a key trait because you never really know what's going to walk in your door. We have a walk-in clinic from 8 to 9 where our, our established patients only can walk in and in the first hour it's all hands on deck and we all see however many we have come in. And so being flexible to see up to 16 people as a clinic with several providers in an hour I think is the most we've ever had on top of our scheduled patients becomes difficult at times, but it's rewarding uh, in a lot of ways and the patients like it. But if I weren't flexible, I would, my, my blood pressure would probably skyrocket every day, right? <laughs> so having, having that really helps uh, in just being able to shift the gears and also your line of thinking because being a good communicator and talking with the patients and explaining and teaching about disease states, about their medications, side effects, educating them at each visit is pretty critical. So being a good communicator is critical. I think uh, you have to enjoy teaching and talking to your patients about things that may not even relate to medicine at all, I think is key, and having a good bedside manner and, uh, and just being there with the patient and not just you know, seeing their disease state, but seeing the patient as a whole and, and synthesizing what you know to communicate to them so that they know what you know uh, mostly to get them to, to buy into the treatment plan and help them understand. So in summary, it's a lot of communication uh, patients and dealing with complicated disease states and being flexible and uh, really enjoying what you do and look forward to coming to work every day. As you were going through your training, were there any specialties that were like, ooh, like cardiology looks pretty cool. I, I think I may, I, I, I might be able to see myself doing that. Yeah, it's, I kind of have to laugh a little bit because for me personally, it was everything. Uh, I knew that going into medical school at Armed in Rockford that that's what I had intended to do. I thought, you know, family medicine makes the most sense for a rural town because as one provider, you can impact thousands of patients because more than 80 to 85 percent of what they're going to come to me for, I can synthesize the info, work it up. I know what to do. I can handle it. Um, most of the time and patients don't have to travel outside of town. But as I got into, you know, learning the specialties and rotating and doing your core rotations and, and, and subspecialty selections my fourth year, it became pretty uh, crucial as kind of a, I guess, a capstone of my education to realize that everything is related to family medicine and that there's nothing that's off limits. I mean, I have to know about chemotherapy uh, and that medication to be able to communicate to my patient that's receiving that. I have to know about rare disease states that I may be able to pick up uh, because we're, I'm going to be the first one this patient probably comes to. So everything is relevant in family medicine. And I guess that's too what I love about it. Um, but it also can be difficult to keep up with things. And if I don't know the answer, I know how to find the answer. And so that that's, I guess, a, a reassuring thing, too, that my education tract is so broad that I at least know something about most things. And I find that to be pretty um, beneficial in a lot of ways. But other specialties uh, were very attractive to me uh, because I loved what I did. I loved OB. I loved uh, urology. 
Um, I liked cardiology. There, there was really nothing that I was like, you know, I, I don't want to do this at all. I don't. I could never see myself doing this. And psychiatry, there's a huge need for that in rural medicine, um, probably nationwide, certainly in Illinois. And that's a big part of primary care too. And I like psychiatry and, and did some extra training in that in residency. And it helps me out literally every single day. So I think learning everything I could on all specialties, just all continue to support the idea that family medicine is, you know, a basically a comprehensive specialty that encompasses everything. It sounds a lot like talking when I talk to emergency medicine physicians. They're like, I liked it all. And so emergency medicine uh, was where, what I was drawn to. So very similar with family family medicine of you kind of have to like it all. And now it's a matter of do you like the, the clinical setting uh, of being in an emergency room or an office? Definitely. <laughs> absolutely. And their acuity is probably a lot higher than yeah. my as on most days, but a lot of things actually walk into my office too with lacerations and fractures and things that a mile down the road, they could go to the hospital and they chose to come here to see me and I still deal with that most of the time. So it's, but you're right, uh, in a lot of rural towns too, emergency room doctors are family doctors that either had extra certifications or uh, were grandfathered in or because a small town with the um, the local need that they're credentialed through the hospital, you know, obviously being competent to do it, um, that a lot of the hospitals are staffed by family doctors and not ER certified doctors. I mean, sometimes it's a mix of both, but, um, but they do a great job because they have a lot of peds training and some surgical training. And so it really benefits them to do that too. But ER, absolutely. There's nothing off limits there either. Now, Family practice, I think most most listeners will understand kind of the, the bread and butter types of patients for family practice. But for rural family medicine, what what sorts of pathologies, diseases, what sort of patients are you treating that may be unique to a rural environment? Yeah, so I think that's a great, uh, great point to talk about that. Yes, you still see the bread and butter. Rural family medicine particularly, I think, deals with more complex uh, disease states and you see more of the social determinants of health at play because there's a transportation issue, there's underinsured uh, patients and uh, no insurance uh, patients and so you have to deal with the other things too and help take care of that person in a different more social fashion than you do just the medicine and the rural patients oftentimes uh, would present later to care. Uh, it doesn't always mean that everyone is who's rural is a farmer, but there is a lot of that industry in most rural towns. But there are several businesses here. There's a college. Uh, there's all sorts of uh, industry around in a lot of rural towns too. But accidents happen, um, you know, farming equipment injuries, things like that. But even if it's unrelated to trauma, people just uh, tend to wait things out longer than maybe they would if they could go down the street and see a, a specialist of any kind uh, within a few minutes walk in downtown Chicago or something like that. So people tend to present later with more complicated diseases is the point. Uh, I see a lot of neuropathy. I see a lot of COPD, obesity-related diseases, of course, the, the diabetes, hypertension, bread and butter stuff. But, you know, Sinus infections and allergy issues and things are prevalent everywhere. We certainly see a lot of that. But we also deal with a lot of really complicated states, too, of people that, you know, see specialists in St. Louis or Springfield uh, and they travel in to see them, but they're from here. And I still manage a lot of those conditions um, because they don't want to leave town to go for a follow-up. And, you know, if they need to, I obviously encourage them to go and, and, and really talk about that. But probably deal with more um, 
kind of comorbidity diseases than maybe other people wouldn't in uh, non-rural environments. Uh, patients are very uh, respectful, uh, very uh, appreciative, I think, that they can come in and talk to me um, at kind of a more basic level of their understanding because they're not in healthcare and walk out feeling like they, they know a lot more about their disease state. And uh, COPD is a, a little big one if I hadn't mentioned that already in the complications of that and, and smoking, but um, there's a lot of skin cancer. I do uh, some surgeries and things for that. It's it, it pretty much is all specialties that I see really on a daily basis and a lot of mental health needs too. And, and so it really is truly in rural medicine, the full gamut of you're not, you're not just doing an urgent care upper respiratory infection um, or, or something like that. It's, it, it's very much more advanced disease states. And I gotta tell you, there's things that I have seen that I learned about in medical school. I knew what it was, but I had never seen it in my training before. So you just, you, you just had to know that, you know, that's what it was. I worked it up, figured it out. Um, but you're going to see things that you may never see again in your career. And that's happened to me too, rare presentations of things. So, you know, being thorough really pays off in a lot of ways because, you know, you're not always going to get a textbook reading patient that comes with classic symptoms in a rural environment. That's probably true anywhere, but it seems to be more here. Describe a typical day. A typical day for me usually starts around 7 or 7.15. I have early clinic one day a week and at 7.15 or so, and then um, the rest of the time I start at 8 o'clock. Typical day pretty much is around 25 to 35 patients. Uh, There's some variability in there. We have the walk-in clinic and then some scheduled uh, patients. See a lot of chronic disease patients that are complicated checkups and then try and work uh, people and double or triple book people that need to be in the same day and really try to work in people that have acute things the same day or within a day. At the end of the day, I usually go to the nursing home if there's somebody um, that is in need there or there's a, a sick visit or there's an admission. Uh, regardless, I try to get home for my family. I'm married with three great children and uh, all under the age of six. And so life's pretty busy for me. So I try and get home and my wife tries to uh, help keep me grounded in that to be home by 6.30 and I have dinner and then I usually get the kids to bed and then I'll do work typically and finish my paperwork from about nine to midnight. So I have long days in terms of paperwork. Patient care usually stops around 5.30. Um, sometimes later if I go to the nursing home. In the mix of those patients, uh, I sometimes would have an early morning procedure like a circumcision I would do at seven if I was starting at eight that day. Um, I may do an end of the day procedure like a vasectomy. I may do um, like Wednesday's procedure day for me typically, um, although it can be any day and I do skin cancer removals, toenail surgeries and lots of other surgical in-office things. And so I kind of like to mix it up. I mean, every day is different. I never know what the next patient's going to be. It's not like, you know, okay, today's all chronic and we're going to see a lot of checkups and there's no acuity. There's nothing I can uh, work with my hands on doing a procedure. And that's not, that's not true. Even if it looks like that on the schedule and I start my day with 18 or 20, I'm always guaranteed to work in five to 15 patients, sometimes even more um, of call-ins or people that uh, just got discharged from the hospital and they need to be in. So it, there's a lot of fluctuation. You never start your day thinking that this is going to be, you know, this, I'm going to stay on time, I'm going to get out, and I got to go to the nursing home and everything. It's, it never goes according to plan. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Again, that flexibility, but it's definitely, there's some excitement, but my days are very busy. 
Do you feel like with a wife and three kids, like you have enough time for them? I do. Um, my wife is absolutely wonderful, and I, I definitely could not say enough good things about her and certainly couldn't do it without her either. It's hard. Uh, I opened private practice two years ago, uh, two and a half years ago, and I literally went from being hospital employed after five years um, out of residency. I moved here in, in 2010, was hospital employed for five years, and then uh, with the changes that were happening, I ended up um, opening private practice. And so for months ahead of that, we actually had renovated the office, bought some land, renovated the office, poured concrete on the grass, and did everything from scratch. And that was all happening while my wife was pregnant with our third child. And we had complicated pregnancies. We had to go to high risk for all three of them. And so I was in St. Louis every Tuesday, which is my day out of the office. And so life was just really crammed full of this stuff and trying to figure this out. And I literally went from one day of being employed to opening shop the next day, worked weekends ahead to try and get things done. Uh, you know, open a new business from scratch was really difficult. And so when I opened the office, I had always had Tuesdays off. And my wife said, you know, I, I really, if you could not work Tuesday still, that's great. It's family time. And she's 100% right. It doesn't always work out because sometimes I have to do an admission at the nursing home or something. But generally, I really love Tuesdays because we'll go to the St. Louis Children's um, uh, for, uh, to do something at the Magic House or we'll go to the zoo or something. And so we have family time there. I don't get as much in the evening as I'd like with the charts and not getting home until you know later for dinner that we've pushed back. Um, but I typically have Saturdays and Sundays off. And so when I opened prior practice, I said, well, as busy as things are, I really bust my chops during the week. And uh, every anytime I'm at work, I work really hard and try to be super thorough and do an excellent job all the time. Um, but if you don't, you can get burned out if you don't take time away. And so I wanted to make sure that my family didn't get put on the back burner so that I could still have a lot of time with my kids. And so my oldest is going to kindergarten and, you know, there'll be activities and things. And I guess the nice thing about being in private practice is I can choose when I can take time off. So if I want to go to an event, then I just schedule it out or I work another day to compensate. And so it, there's more flexibility in having your own decision making to be able to do that. You probably never feel like you get enough time with your uh, family, but uh, it's definitely doable. And family medicine is about relationships with patients. It's about, um, you know, well-rounded approach and all this stuff, but it's also about families. And so families should come first, really. Now, family practice is is three years residency typically. And you mentioned that you went to a residency program that had this rural medicine track. What does that training look like to, to go to a residency program that has specific training for, for physicians who want to be in a rural environment? So in the residency track, it's, you're correct, it's three years. You can opt to do more training. You know, there's subspecialties in family medicine, as you know, and one of them uh, can be kind of a high-risk OB C-section tract, uh, and incidentally, the place that I went to, Union Hospital in Terre Haute, had that um, if you opted to do that. And I, I know a lot of colleagues of mine are, are in rural Illinois doing C-sections and things um, after receiving training like that at their residency. But you typically would go your normal three years, and I know the ACGME has changed, um, you know, their kind of the core criteria as to how many months of OB and different things you have to require a program to have but you can always do elective time to get more. You would do your typical training in three years, start to finish, and you may have some elective time to do an away rotation and things if you wanted. 
but the rural training tract was in addition to the regular. So we would, as in, in Union Hospital Terre Haute, what we did is starting, I believe, in my second and third year, I don't think we did anything first year at that time, was that we went to a rural clinic where there were no resources, essentially local, within 20 or 30 miles, no hospital local, um, anything like that. It was a small clinic. Uh, we did office procedures there, um, we had EKG machine, I believe, and just different stuff to kind of be a, a first stop resource that was pretty comprehensive. And you learned basically how to be more independent. And the rural training track uh, taught me a lot of things about decision making when you're by yourself, uh, when you can't pick up the phone and say, I need you to come see this patient with me. Uh, they're not there with you. And uh, a lot of autonomy and realizing that, you know, the bottom line kind of stopped with you and, and when you're in rural practice, when you're in rural practice, because, you know, it's, it's your decision uh, to make. And, you know, you may not have somebody else to give you a second opinion at your bedside. And I think when I was finally done with the training after the three years, it seemed to go super fast. You never have enough time to train. So it seems when you're done, the nice thing is when you've gotten extra training and you feel prepared for rural practice, when you're in rural practice, you, you can practice at the top of your training ability. And so we touched on earlier that, you know, uh, people have done C-section tracks. In the office here, I do vasectomies. I was trained to do colposcopies and IUD um, and women's health procedures. Uh, I was trained to do circumcisions at the hospital, do a lot of office, you know, biopsies, uh, toenail surgeries, um, cyst removal, skin cancer removal, and things like that. And that may not happen in an urban area. So if you've done enough of those and you get trained to do that in your residency, that allows you to get credentialed when you're out in practice at a hospital or even in a clinic that you've done enough to say, yes, this person is competent and they've been trained. If I were in an urban setting and I had trained to do colonoscopies, like uh, a friend of mine uh, did in the same program, he, he's not a GI doctor, he's a family doctor, but he does colonoscopies. He also does C-sections and, and things down in Sullivan, Illinois, or I'm sorry, Sullivan, Sullivan, Indiana. And so if you're able to do all these things when you're out, you can really practice at the top of your training curve because if you were in a city, you probably wouldn't because you'd have a subspecialist that would do them and they may have done more of them than training, but it doesn't mean that you're not competent to do them. And when you're in a rural area and there's no one else around uh, a lot of times, or there's a, a visiting specialist one day a week, you you are the, the to-go person. And that's, you know, you would be the one mainly doing those things. And so having that kind of extra intensity of training um, really helped out when I was in practice so that I could really do everything I was truly trained to do and not just let things go by the wayside because the environment didn't fit. Because you're in a rural environment with not a lot of specialties, if, if any, out there that are nearby, how do you form those connections and, and networks so that you, you can get the information that you need? The nice thing is that most specialists are very receptive to receiving a phone call. Um, I could call St. Louis uh, at Children's Hospital or Cardinal Glennon, or I could talk to other hospitals in the area to talk to a uh, ped subspecialist or infectious disease or something if I needed to. We have some visiting specialists that come a half day a week, uh, cardiology a couple days a week, and they could do some stress tests here and things. And those people that are local that see our patients mostly uh, you know, for things like stress tests and stuff, they're very receptive to me calling. They're very pleasant. Their notes are awesome. Um, but somebody that, you know, say an endocrinologist, we don't have an endocrinologist there. I think it may take something like 
80,000 people. And I read a study a while ago that said it takes 80,000 people to support one endocrinologist. Well, that's that's a massive area, right? That's a lot of rural areas put together. So that's why they're visiting. They're not there full time. We don't even have a full time surgeon. He's here one or two days a week. And, you know, they kind of share a call to the other local hospitals. And so in a lot of cases get sent out because we don't have a full time in-house surgeon. Other than phone calls, um, I we kind of form relationships just by the quality of the institution and the group of partners that maybe we know one partner in that we deal with exclusively. But if they can't see the patient and the patient's willing to drive, then their partner is excellent and, and they also would take care of the patient. So a lot of it has really just been the fact that I've been here and I, a lot of doctors, I don't even know what they look like, but I've talked to them a lot of times and uh, received their consult notes and they receive my consults uh, or my referral notes. And uh, we have a good working relationship that way. What sort of opportunities are there outside of working in the clinic for you as a, a rural family medicine doctor? So one of the things that uh, I picked up not long ago was there was a change in ownership of the local nursing home and it was getting renovated and uh, they wanted to have a new director. So my partner and I decided from time constraints that we would split the directorship. So we are the local nursing home directors, uh, kind of outside of medicine in some ways. I was actually asked by um, Greenville College to teach anatomy a couple of years ago, uh, not far after I moved here. Uh, they developed a cadaver lab. They had a, a, a donation finally after years of, of hoping for that, and they had a cadaver lab and asked me to teach that. That was actually a volunteer thing, but kind of neat that, you know, on my day off before my kids really uh, were, were born or really were uh, older, I could take a half day and go teach undergraduates gross anatomy and dissect with them. And that was a pretty neat opportunity too that, you know, it's kind of uh, something I wouldn't have expected, but something outside of you know, being in the office, which is kind of neat. So there's things like nursing home directorships um, that you could do. Um, people serve on the health department board, um, the hospital board, and other things that may not be employed positions, but you can do that. Sometimes uh, family doctors can fill in as hospitalists. Uh, I did that initially when I was employed. When the hospitalist left, I served as the local hospitalist for a couple of weekends. Um, in that capacity, you could moonlight in the ER, either locally or outside of town if you wanted to. So there's a lot of things like that, you know, that are hospital employment, uh, things you could do. Uh, there's some that do wound care I've heard of. So opportunities to do more surgical stuff and just subspecialize in wound care. There's some that are sports medicine that serve as team doctors in small towns. So those are, that's kind of a list that comes to mind of things that you could do outside of uh, being in the office. What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into rural family medicine? Boy, that's a tough question. Uh, retrospective analysis, looking at, <laughs> at my past, right? It's, uh, it, it's kind of hard to know right off the top of my head. I think really the one thing that comes to mind is you know, as I mentioned earlier, probably that everything, it, it pays to be thorough. It pays to, you know, keep up on things and um, just really take advantage of your training. I think one thing that I wish I knew different was the fact that when you're in training and it was probably said to me and it's, you know, you work long hours, you're tired of things is to get as much exposure as you can. Um, so that you're the most comfortable when you come out. And I, I did some moonlighting my second and third year of residency in Terre Haute in the ER. And so I was a functioning ER doctor and employed by MCARE, which was the company at the time that, that provided that. And so when I wasn't in on call for residency and things, I would do that. 
And that gave me a ton of um, leg up to, for practice because it was quick decision-making. You saw acuity. I also saw a lot of primary care things as most ER doctors do in the country. And it, it was just better experience to do that. But being tired and you know, um, getting married my last year residency and things. There are a lot of other things that uh, took my time, um, you know, mentally and physically, you know, that were focused on other things. And the thing I would probably get at looking at differently or knowing differently was that it really matters that you get the exposure to everything. Now, it's really impossible to see everything, but even when you're tired, if you have an opportunity to learn something, you should do it. Because when you're in private practice or even if you're employed, when you're out in practice, it's very draining financially on the company or your, your pocketbook or your, your private practice or the hospital or whoever's employing you to have you go get some new training that you could have received but didn't or that you're interested in doing. It's a lot of time off of work. It's You're talking hundreds of patients a week that would have to be rescheduled. Um, there's all sorts of inconveniences that if you want to do something after you're in practice, telling yourself that when you're in residency, well, I'll get that later, it, it doesn't happen. So uh, I felt like I got what I wanted uh, pretty much. Um, you know, I always wish you could do more, but I, I think coming out, realizing that you worked hard and you did everything and you saw what you could when you could do it and you weren't in violation of hours and things, it's a rewarding thing to know that. So that's a piece of advice I would say is just do everything you can. And even though you're tired, still should read, still should learn, you know, observe things, scrubbing on surgeries, because it's all relevant. Everything is connected. It's all relevant. What do you like the most about being a rural family medicine duck? You know, I think it's very rewarding for me to come to work every day. And no matter how tired I am or how stressed I am or how much paperwork I have, it's especially in private practice for me in the last couple of years, it's kind of a change of, of view on how the patient is seen in my eyes and, you know, how my office staff is seen because they're my employees and I, you know, we handpick them, you know, and it's kind of a family environment. So even though I have stressful days or they're long or I'm really tired, I still enjoy coming to work no matter what. And that's, that's cool because this is the rest of my life. I'm, I have no plans to retire at retirement age. Um, I love teaching. I love doing different things. And so, you know, coming to work and looking forward to it is, you know, what you hope would be your career. But unfortunately, not everybody feels that way. But I'm glad that I do. I love um, the fact that I can make an impact on patients in a lot of ways. So every single day, as we talked about earlier, how different it is and the different types of patients you see and the different acuity that you see and the different length of visits that you see. It's nice and rewarding at the end of the day for me to sleep well at night knowing that I did my best and some days it, it, I save a life. And even though it may not be, you know, someone walks in and they're having a heart attack in my office, although that's happened, I, I think that, you know, if I diagnose something that the patient didn't know they had or I found a thyroid nodule that led to cancer in a young girl that came in for a cold, that makes me feel good knowing that being thorough and doing a really good physical exam and things that I was trained to do, it always matters because even if it's normal, the patient got good care, they walk out, I feel good about their visit, they feel good about their visit, and um, and that makes them want to come back. And I just feel very much fulfilled and rewarded that I can offer a lot of services to patients. I feel very well trained um, through my my undergrad or my uh, medical school at U of I College of Medicine Rockford and Terre Haute, Indiana Union Hospital. Um, I, have, I have a great partner 
Dr. Siefkin, who's very supportive. Uh, we really balance each other pretty well. So I just, I love being here. I love doing this. I can't see myself doing anything else in my life. And the fact that I can teach uh, medical students and they come and rotate with me, I love that. I love that more than most anything else besides being a doctor is teaching. And when you do both together, it's a, it's a pretty cool day. So just the, the variety and doing what I can for patients on multiple levels, uh, to me, makes me feel really good about what I do. What do you like the least? The paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and that's something you can't get away from. I mean, I think it's, it's a reframing of your mindset. You know, I, I read in um, Family Practice Management, it was, it was a pretty good article not long ago just about reframing your thinking about the fact that, you know, nobody really likes paperwork. Family medicine has a lot of it. And the electronic records certainly, um, you know, add up to be lengthy documents. But I think, but it's it's important. I mean, certainly documenting well is important in a lot of ways. But it's it's just a necessary part. And I think that even though it's you know evolving and changing, that's you're doing a service for the patient that you know uh, is a reference for a step off point for the next visit. You know, in my note, I say what I'm thinking uh, for the next visit, so someone else can pick up if I'm out of the office or something. But it, I kind of look at it that way and reframe your mind that even when it's frustrating, it's still necessary and it kind of completes the patient's care that you're putting down on paper uh, what you did for them or what you plan to do for them is. And um, I just look at it as an extension of the physical exam and things that, you know, it's, it's just part of it. It's about taking care of somebody and doing a good job on paperwork. But it's it's just a necessary evil that you kind of just learn not to get upset about, I guess. But family medicine has a lot of other forms and things and FMLA to fill out. It's just how it is. You know, it just takes time. You don't feel like you really gain anything from it in terms of doing something for the patient physically, but you're doing something for them, you know, mentally in your own mind that you're kind of closing that visit and uh, making sure that, you know, you do a good job on that. It's just as important. With the charting, have you guys looked into hiring scribes, finding a company that will bring scribes in to lessen that burden? We have. Um, I actually staff a lot of RNs in my office uh, by choice because they're very well trained and and uh, they're very smart. And um, as we alluded to earlier, they're they're handpicked and we've worked together for years. And so they help me with some of the paperwork on putting in labs while I'm in the room with them, and they may do some typing. Ultimately, I review every sentence and you know every vital sign and and everything because I was there. But also, I'm the one who signs it off. So it's more. They serve in a scribe role in some capacity and order x-rays on a, a separate piece of paper and, and things to just do some of the busier work that helps me out. We didn't look at a company per se very long, but we do have some people that we've hired in a kind of a medical assistant position to do just that um, for some of the providers in the office a couple of days a week. And it does help a lot in terms of inputting you know, physical exam findings and things that I'm verbalizing to that person and they're checking the boxes and things. And then, like I mentioned, I always review it, of course, but it, it just helps to keep that in mind so that at the end of the day, when I have 30 or more charts, if I haven't had a chance to do any of them um, that in, during the day before I go home, that I know it, at least my plan is done, the medicines were put in, I double check them before the patient leaves the room. And so it kind of cuts down on some of the busier work that just eats up time, you know, when you're getting the note done. Do you see any major changes coming to rural family medicine? That's, a, that's an interesting question. I think 
that yes, in time, uh, we're seeing that maybe some of the smaller hospitals are merging with larger ones. And so then that gives access to maybe some more visiting specialists and things like that. Electronically, I think it's, in, in, you know, the electronic medical record is you know pretty universal now. There may be some people saw on paper, um, but it, it's, it's really going away. And so even though the systems may not talk per se, um, for instance, the local hospital down the street uses a different system than we do. And so that, you know, we, it's all about faxes and then you scan it back in and it's kind of a real, you know, tedious type of thing. The, the communication in rural medicine may change. I don't think that probably the quality of care that you could provide is probably likely to change. It's interesting because a lot of people would say, you know, their perception of rural medicine is that it's antiquated. Uh, doctors are not well-trained. They don't provide good care. Um, you know, they, they were just, you know, plopped there and, you know, they don't want to stay and then they leave, you know, that's generally not true. And in my office, we have the same technology in DNA, um, what they call CLIA wave tests for influenza, strep, things like that, that are highly accurate as same as the hospital would do. And I haven't done in 10 or 15 minutes. And I have the same equipment that I did when I was at the hospital for surgery stuff and everything. So you know, the idea that if anyone ever thinks about that, uh, about there being antiquated care is definitely not true. And rural doctors typically are very much on, on the ball with, you know, latest updates and things because you have to stay up on it. And whether a patient comes in and says, I saw this on the news, or you get it in your article that you're reading, or you're when you're doing CME, it, you know, keeping up on things is probably no different than it is in the urban areas. It's just that I don't have somebody to bounce ideas off when I'm rounding in the hospital or in the doctor's lounge for five minutes getting a coffee. It doesn't, that doesn't happen. And I do miss that collegiality, not seeing other doctors like I did in residency. But the fact is, it, it's not antiquated out here. It doesn't have to be. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be in the same position? 100%. No question in my mind. For as hard as things were, especially going into private practice, that was a choice I made. And uh, at one point served as chief of staff for the hospital, a board member and hospital employee. And even though it wasn't really a conflict of interest, I had to wear three different hats at three different times. Um, and that's not uncommon for a rural doctor is you're considered a you know, local expert on uh, health and different things. You oftentimes serve on community boards because you are part of the community, but it's not always about what I would want. It's about the community in my book. That's how I view it. And so, you know, I took part at the hospital changeover a couple of years ago to make sure that this community could keep a hospital. And even though I knew that it financially wasn't good for me and it was a big uphill battle and I was having a newborn, uh, you know, girl being born at the literally couple months after we opened private practice and finances were very hard for a long time it was worth it because now I feel like every day I make an impact or I save a life or I find someone's cancer or something and it's very meaningful to me. And so I, I wouldn't have it any other way, quite frankly. And that's for rural medicine period. And that's for rural primary care, family practice, private practice where I'm at now. So I, I would do everything exactly as I did it and still be where I'm at today if I had to choose it again. I'd go through medical school again if I had to. I loved it that much. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far. Uh, that's pretty funny. Uh, any yeah. last words of wisdom for the student out there who maybe is coming from a rural environment and thinking about going back to a rural environment but is questioning maybe the logistics, the financing, all of that fun stuff when they're staring at med school debt and everything else that goes along with it? 
Yeah, because boy, that is part of it. That is for sure. Um, I would encourage students that really want to do uh, family medicine um, and particularly rural family medicine to look at a program um, both for undergraduate as well as a residency that may provide you that kind of training instead of just a traditional training that, you know, if you're from rural, you're going to go there. You probably would still do well, but it may be worth exploring, you know, what that training track would look like or that, um, that, that rural medical program would look like. I would say it's important that if you have a rotation in medical school that is not what you think it's going to be, but you really are interested in that specialty, that you explore another option. What I mean by that is I remember being told in medical school um, and other friends that went to even different medical schools did that a lot of specialists may feel that family medicine is, you know, coughs and colds and, you know, maybe you're doing too well in medical school to go into family medicine. You should subspecialize in this. Um, you should do this. And some patients or some um, uh, some people, uh, some doctors feel like when they were in the training, they may have heard that. And and that's that's hard to hear for me. Uh, and I, I heard it myself because it's you can make such an impact and it's not about the money it's about what you want to do and uh, i think that it's a, extremely rewarding that if that's something you want to do there are ways of doing it there are our local hospitals that would give you a signing bonus there's debt forgiveness there's federal uh, qualified aid programs where you work uh, and get a full salary and you get basically loan forgiveness up to over six figures over five years there are ways of repaying your debt to work in a rural area if that's what you want to do. And the financial part can be just as rewarding and sometimes even better than if you were an urban family medicine doctor. So I think if it's something you want to do, you should do it. And there's a lot of ways to you know get to the same end result of having a family and things. It's not specialty specific. What I tell medical students when they rotate with me is they don't may not know what they want to do, but you can still have a family with pretty much any specialty. You just have to find a way to carve it out. Everybody's busy. Every specialty has demands, but um, there, there are ways of doing it. But I, I think if you have a bad rotation, you're like, boy, I really thought family medicine was what I wanted to do. And this guy seems burnt out or I didn't have a good time or I didn't see any procedures, then maybe you should do another rotation because a lot of people I've talked to, you know, um, even in Rockford, uh, students that are up there now, they have great experiences, but if they did an away rotation or something and they're like, you know, I just, I didn't like this rotation, you talk to them about it and say, well, maybe you didn't really have a great time, but you still could do all these things. Like, well, I wasn't aware that I wasn't aware you could do this procedure as a family doctor and things because the specialists they rotated with didn't, didn't allude to them that they had other options and they didn't know that. Hmm. And so I just, I hate for people to be turned off um, from a specialty that they want to pursue, especially family medicine, because they didn't have a great experience and then realized later, I, I didn't know that I really, I really wish I could have done that and I would have chosen a different specialty even and done that family medicine or something if I you know, had gotten a, a great rotation. So maybe not every rotation is the best, but um, as you're learning and there's different personality types of the preceptors you're working with, but if you have a great experience, oftentimes that those couple of great specialty experiences are what drive people's interest in doing that specialty. So, you know, when you connect with a preceptor, it's like, boy, they, that was a life changing thing. I remember specifically preceptors that I worked with in undergrad and in um, residency that when I'm doing a procedure or I see a patient with this disease, 
I literally think about the time when they told me that in the hospital, rounding and seeing that patient, it, that memory comes back to me. And it, it obviously stuck, but it's meaningful. And if you have a whole month rotation with somebody that you're like, boy, this is the cat's meow, then that's what you should do. That's what you should look at pursuing and not be dissuaded by someone else's opinion because you think that uh, maybe they're trying to lead you in a different direction. All right, there you have it again, Dr. Kelsey Hopkins, Rural Family Medicine, talking about the ins and outs of being in a rural environment, going through training to become a rural family medicine physician, and all of the pros and cons that come with it. Hopefully this was helpful for you if you are interested in rural medicine, rural family medicine to be specific. If uh, you are not interested in rural medicine, I think everything that we talked about is still applicable to your training and your future as a physician. As always, I'm looking for more great guests. If you have a physician that you think would be a great guest here on the podcast, just shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.